0: This is the Commercial Appeal.
1: At the beginning of the season, we talked about the the top goal of what we wanted to accomplish is to be bowl champions. You want to see that football team hoisting a trophy. Be able to come and be in a game like this, facing a a conference champion, a a wonderful football team. This this 2016 Tiger team that we have has got a, a, a special job in front of it. And if we can go out there and we can accomplish that goal, then I think we've had a tremendous success.
0: This is the Tiger Football Podcast with Tom Shad, Jeff Hawkins, and Phil Stukenborg. All
1: right. What's up, y'all? Just Jeff and uh, Tom in here today in the Tiger Football Podcast. It is bowl season, and a week from today, the University of Memphis will be taking the field in the Boca Raton Bowl against Western Kentucky. They will travel down there
0: uh, Friday and start bowl practices throughout the weekend. The band um, will be leaving any, at any point. Whenever they can get those buses loaded <laughs> by the by bus, yeah, by bus. No, the the I I didn't make friends in the administration by pointing out that the band takes a bus. Other people said, "Listen, the football team is the reason they go. Like they got to fly." I'm not saying the football team should take a bus. That wasn't my point. But isn't a thousand miles a long bus ride?
1: It's a, it's quite. That is a long, is bus,
0: a long ride. bus ride. Although I got some emails after I wrote that from 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 former band band members saying it would be a bonding experience for everyone. I think it is oh. bonding to be on a bus for a thousand miles. You know, especially if you're the one sitting next to the bathroom, like it's very, it's very bonding. So, uh, are you busing? Are you flying? I'm flying. When are you going down? We are.
1: Yeah. So me and photographer Mark Webber going down Friday. We'll be there throughout the weekend as well. What are the
0: festivities? What's on the schedule? Is there bowling? A bowling contest? Is there a uh, is there an iguana catching iguana contest? Since we're down in the in the Miami, is there? Have you looked into this? What see, are the see, mark the team? Mark and tilts? I will both be rooting for an iguana contest. Anything I would love like an, igu- an and iguana, the- a some sort of a catching a iguana contest, or a yeah imitate a parrot or like whatever. Is there? Do you know? Alas, it
1: looks like on the tentative schedule that we have, it's a lot of. Uh, parties, get-togethers, social. Fun. They have a beach party. Beach party. So I don't know if that's actually physically going to be on the beach or. You would think they theme. have one there. You would think. Uh, I don't know details beyond that, but yeah, last year. I mean, last year was cool. They had, you know, they um, they did some some
0: tourist Let's be attractions and. Last year was not really that cool.
1: I thought the bowl. I did you the think bowling... they did a good job,
0: by the way? What last year? Not the team. We know they didn't do a good job. The 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 the, the organizers at the Birmingham. What was your impression
1: of the Birmingham Bowl? Oh, it was was fine. Uh, I mean, I didn't really. It would have been better if I had been down to Birmingham before, and then I could have graded it versus. You know, like I could have evaluated what they did versus what was available to do. I didn't really know. People just have such a
0: sour taste in their mouth about that whole bowl experience because of the way it turned out. Yeah. I don't know. And the stadium's crappy, obviously. And well, so I don't know that it was... Whereas I think everyone has a, uh, has a, a really favorable memory of the Miami Beach Bowl because it was beautiful and everything else. Plus they won and they, there was a fist fight at the end, which was at least exciting. and they But they won in dramatic fashion. I had some very good Cuban food. And so uh, I think the... Uh, It is funny. Like, I do wonder how much of it was shaped by the game. I think even independent of the game, the Miami Beach Bowl was pretty well regarded and the Birmingham Bowl was less well regarded.
1: Well, I think you made a good point there in terms of the food, because a lot of times that's the big or just like the overall environment being different than what you're used to. And when you go to Birmingham... You know, Memphis had kids who grew up in Birmingham. They they feed you barbecue, and if you're a Memphis kid, you know, okay, right, just more barbecue. barbecue. Auburn, too. Yeah, I think there's something more interesting for the for the team and for us, I mean, honestly, to go to some place like Florida. The other a thing that was striking
0: of the was how physically uh, – Auburn team had struggled, how physically they were dominated. You know, they were yep. just – dominated last now paxton wasn't paxton and everything else you know the coaching's changed isn't it nice a year later to not be in that position the coaching carousel is happening all around us and yet uh there's uh except for the reports about uh the offensive coordinator chip long at all miss there's um we don't have to be you know, I have to be call, calling sources to see if Barry Odom is in town or not in town or whatever else. It's nice to have at least one year to be sitting that out. Next year at this time, I didn't know that you were planning to bring this up. Next year at this time, will, provided of course that you are still a beat writer and haven't gone on to work for the New York Times at this point, will <laughs> you be covering a coaching change?
1: That is a good question, and I know that you raised this in a take five. I guess it was last last week. Well, how I, long-
0: really, it was a very brief thing. I just yeah. said that he's one year isn't enough, but two years is enough to get your name mentioned. The interesting thing about it was that, and I think most people think that next year will be a busier year in terms of coaching changes than this year. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing about it was is I linked to a Pat Forty story where he mentioned maybe three who was Other was American Montgomery, athletic Chad and none Morris. of them were and none of them were Mike Norvell, so it's not a slam dunk that Mike like. It was interesting. It was yeah. It was Chad Morris, who's uh, Philip Montgomery, SMU and Tulsa, and then Navy. Yeah, Kenny Matsulolo. Yeah, glad you said that. So <laughs> you think that he, there's no chance he'll leave?
1: I I wouldn't say no chance. I I think. Okay, first of all, I think that they're going to be pretty good next year oh, on, on paper. Memphis, you yep. look, you just look at who they're bringing. They're bringing back something like nine offensive starters. Defensively, the secondary is going to be a big area of concern. But they're bringing back, you know, at least on paper, a lot of their defensive line, a lot of talent linebackers. Jonathan Cook, who's been a Brock. rock star for them yep. this year, yeah, is, is going to be coming back. So, I think that on paper they could be pretty good. And so let's assume that they win eight, nine, ten games again, and next year. I mean, I think Norvell's name will be on these lists. He, you, he will get a little bit more buzz in terms of the coaching carousel. Put together
0: another good recruiting year, right? That will help. You, that whatever will, else, that'll you, be you, you start to be hot. But He'll does be that, hot.
1: But does that mean he's going to leave? And I think it, you know, and I wasn't here when Fuente, you know, after after fourteen when they had that great year. But I assume that there was some buzz and some mention. But. I think for a lot of these coaches, you know, when you're looking, especially if you're coming from the AAC, you want your next job to be somewhere where you can honestly post up for a little bit, you know, and I think that we've seen that this year where you go, you know, Matt Rule, for example, his name was getting thrown around a lot last year. He ends up staying an extra year and winds up at a place in Baylor where he could be for a little bit. Willie Taggart, kind of the same thing. He was getting a little bit of fringe buzz last year, ends up going to Oregon um, this year where he can theoretically stay for a little bit if he has success. So I think for Mike Norvell, it's going to come down to, A, where does he want to be long-term? And where does he see himself?
0: Where, wh- what does places the right is... job come open for that fits him Correct. perfectly? It is true. Correct. Like, look, for example, everyone assumed just because you're hot coach and people think it's your time is not necessarily when people jump. P.J. Fleck is the perfect example of that. Yep. No one thought he'd be coming back this year. He'd, he's clearly proven he's got the bona fides. He does not need to stay another year. And there he'll be back for another year. Um, and so just because it's Kirby smart, how long was Kirby smart? The next coach in waiting for forever. He was the next coach in waiting. And so, um, we've seen that Mike Norvell, who took a long time to pick the perfect job at Arizona state, uh, to pick the perfect head coaching job. Um, he's very, he's fully capable of saying, you know what, this isn't perfect for me. It so happened that Justin Fonte after year three, the job that you would say, if you could picked five perfect jobs for Justin Fuente, you would say Oklahoma would have been one of them. Oklahoma State probably would have been one of them. TCU. TCU would have been one of them. Virginia Tech would have been one of them. I don't even know who the next one would have been. It probably would have been one of the top four jobs you could have imagined. You would have liked Nebraska probably too, although that's big. But, you know, that kind of place – Perfect for him. And so it so happened that the perfect job came open for him. We don't know that the perfect job will come open for Mike Norvell. But I do think if you look around and you look at what happens at South Florida and you look at what happened at Western Kentucky and you look at what happened uh, at Houston and there's just no getting around. Like someone asked me on Twitter, they said, is it possible if they keep getting great coaches and keep doing so well that it'll become something other than a stepping stone league? No, No, it's not. Until the checks get bigger, until the shot at the title gets bigger, it is what it is. And what it is is the best non-Power 5 conference, but it's still it's still a stepping stone. It just is. And, and the one thing that I wanted to say,
1: backtracking a little bit, is fans, and we said this a lot last year, fans need to understand the ideal job from your point of view might not be the ideal job from a coach's point of view. And there are a lot of good jobs, like the Virginia Tech job— from a coach's standpoint, I mean, in terms of longevity, in terms of the right. athletic department stability, um, resources, uh, location in the league that they're, you know you're in the AACC, well, and that ACC coach can, in particular,
0: right. it, it, Pete Carroll might not wanted to do that job if he were going back to college coaching someday. He might not. That not might not have been one for him, but it was perfect for Justin. Where do you think, by the way, is the perfect job? Where would I? I, I don't. I don't know. Where is my? Just imagine. What would be the perfect job for Mike Norvell? That's tough because um, I can't see Arizona State because his buddy is was there, like right. And I honestly think if you broke with Todd Graham, you you wouldn't bring in his his, his understudy. Yeah. Otherwise, you would say it would be perfect for him, right? Well,
1: now here's one, and I I want to be upfront. Total I've, speculation. Total speculation. I have not talked with
0: with Coach yeah. Norvell about this at all. Top of the head stuff. This is the best top of the head stuff you're going to get on a podcast. Uh huh. Texas Tech. Really, somewhere in the Big Twelve, I think. I think he can would you do win really enough well. there? Can you win well enough there?
1: I don't know. That's the qu- But I think being in, being in Texas, he has a lot of roots in Texas. Um, loves recruiting Texas, um, and I think the Big Twelve would be a good fit for him, league wise. I think Big Twelve or Pac Twelve. Um, I just think that makes the most sense geographically. What if the
0: Oklahoma State job ever did come open? Is it that, not ready? Would he not be considered ready for that job in a year? I don't know.
1: I mean, we're we're obviously speculating way down the I know. road. I mean, if this, if, if, at the end of next year, I don't know. I mean, that, that would depend on who's the big, T. Boone Pickens or whatever he thinks he's ready <laughs> he after, him, after right. two years, you know, at age 36. Like, I think it just depends on the admin, administration, you know, at a particular school, whether or not he's going to be ready. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I think that certainly he can aim a little bit higher than a, than a fringe, you know, power five, than a than a Kansas or, or something.
0: Texas Tech is pretty fringe right now. That's At true. At least their defense is fringe. But historically, that's right.
1: that's the other thing is historically, and even in recent history, you know, they've shown that they can – they have a little bit of of respect, I guess, nationally, where if you perform well there, I mean, you can be a top-20 team and, and yeah. get some love nationally. Well, so, anyway,
0: it's nice to not worry about this this year. Do you right. think the chip long thing is real, by the way, to, to, uh, to Ole Miss, my uh, – the producer on my my radio show, Jeffrey Wright, who used to cover Ole Miss, believes that in the end, it's not likely that he will get that gig. Um, I lots.
1: would I would agree with that. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's the only report. It's unconfirmed. I haven't gotten any confirmation on my end. Um, and and it was the one guy from Oxford who was reporting it. So I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, just looking at what they've done offensively, if if he was getting getting some looks, um, but I just don't know if it's. I mean, A, I don't know how interested he would be in a job like that, and B, you know, how they would uh, reportedly have five candidates and could promote their, their offensive line coach, who I think was the co-offensive right. coordinator, he's could likely, promote he's him. He's the and,
0: likely candidate at this point, is if they go internal. Anyway, it's uh, – it's and I, if that happened, the truth of the matter is it's a Mike Norvell offense, too. You know, I mean, sure. I, I think Chip Long does properly get a lot of credit, um, but I do think that you could sustain that loss if you had to.
1: Sure, Um and- One thing while we're talking coaching carousel, I wanted to ask, if you are an administrator, I thought it was really interesting what Houston did. And basically, their top booster, um, Tillman Fertitta, I think Mm -hmm. is his name, said, we're not going to let this be talked about it being kind of a stepping stone. He said, we're going to make the buyout so big that this is not going to be a stepping stone. And how they basically structured the contract is that the buyout is whatever is left on the deal at the time you want to leave. So I think he's making one point three five mil in his first year. And it's like a five-year deal or something. So if you wanted to poach Major Applewhite, who's Houston's new head coach, after two years, I mean the buyout would be like $6 million or something. Is that something in this current climate, I guess, in college football, if you were an administrator, if you were Tom Bowen or President Rudd and you need to find a football coach next year, is that something that you would do? Would you structure a deal like that even if it possibly hindered the candidates you might be able to bring in? Because that's, again, allegedly – one of the sticking points with, with Lane Kiffin is that, you know, he didn't want that lord of a buyout.
0: Yeah, I, I probably would not. Um, well, let's let's stipulate this. If what you're telling me is that Lane Kiffin was the person that they thought was most likely to be successful, stipulate a world where they thought Lane was most likely to be successful, okay. but Major Applewhite was willing to sign, because most people balk at that sort of heavy buyout. They won't do that kind of heavy buyout because right. they don't want to be at Houston forever. Right. So, um, but if you're telling me that they wanted Lane, they think he had a greater chance at success, but because he wouldn't sign it, they picked someone who they think would have a lesser chance of success, I think that's a bad decision from from an athletic department. I think it's hard enough to pick good coach after good coach after good coach. I'm not weighing in on the merits of either of them, but I'm saying if their guy was Lane Kiffin— And they let the buyout stand in the way and let them pick choice B because of it. I think that's silly. And it's fighting against who you are. Go ahead. Keep winning. Keep winning. And then hopefully get into the Big 12. And then you can start, or whatever, then you can start keeping coaches. But right now... um, I don't know. I, I think it's I think it's it's I understand why. And if Houston's a place, I think you will find this at Memphis too. If Mike Norvell leaves, people will get frustrated because then it'll be Fuente left and Norvell left. Right. And the more it happens, the more apt you are to say, let's load up on the buyout. And so that's obviously what happened in Houston. You pointed out to me in a conversation that we had that what Memphis did after the Fuente experience was was they didn't necessarily load up on the buyout, which is $500,000, I think. What they did was they clarified the language about having to be notified. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So that was the one big, when you looked at Fuente's contract and Norvell's contract side by side, and and I think Phil Stukenborg wrote this a couple months ago, basically there is a a lengthier clause in there. The old clause in Fuente's contract used to be um, that you cannot contact or through any agent contact somebody about a job. The new uh section says you cannot contact contact or through any agent contact somebody about a job and they cannot reach out to you through any agent or something about it. Is that without permission without without permission, permission from tom bone yeah without written permission that was the, the way that they director.
0: closed the fuente loophole because they, they would at least, that's how it reads. they would at least like to know if you were negotiating the way that justin fuente clearly was negotiating uh at the end of last year yeah that's yeah. how the contract reads anyways so. uh well interesting time speaking of all this, how is recruiting going? So they got the JUCO um,
1: signing day is Wednesday, um, and they've got a couple kids who have been committed for a long time and are still expected to sign. A couple cornerbacks, um, both formerly at Oklahoma. So there's Tito Windham, um, who I think is at a community college in Mississippi, if I'm not mistaken, um, and Marcus Green, who was on an official visit, I believe it was, last weekend, um, also formerly at Oklahoma. He's at a community college in Oklahoma um, this past year. So... um, Tons of talent between the two of them, and I think that they're counting on both of them to contribute relatively early here. And, and good track record with Jonathan Cook coming in last year. You know, Cook came in signed former it this Power Five guy, former Power Five guy came in was the starter from spring ball and has ended up being one of their best players. And losing as many guys as they are going to in the secondary, particularly a corner. I mean, they're going to need some of these JUCO guys to come in. Um, so those are two that I think are, are likely to sign on on Wednesday and enroll um, here in January. Uh, There was one guy, Lonnie Johnson, who's the top-rated JUCO safety. He was considering Memphis and was scheduled to visit Memphis, got a late offer from Georgia, and ended up visiting Georgia instead of Memphis. So I think he's kind of unlikely at this point. And they were also considering, I think he was a former Tennessee defensive lineman, Mike Sawyers. And I don't know what the status is on on him and if he's still considering Memphis or, or still a possibility for them. But those are the big JUCO guys. And then underclassmen... Um, an interesting situation. I don't know if you saw anything about this. They had uh, picked up a commit, a quarterback commit, Will McBride, out of the the Houston area. Right. And um, last week, I guess it was, he was offered by Tennessee. So he took his official visit to Memphis as planned over the weekend, um, but then also took an unofficial visit to the University of Tennessee. So that's an interesting situation that that bears uh, bears watching, I think. And and you know if you're if Memphis has been recruiting you all along, you know, and you have this great relationship with the coaches, but then an sec team like Tennessee comes in late
0: at you, you know, what do you, what do that's you always that the situation? peril here is this, you know, is, is it as, as people come in and what's happened with the high school kids out of Oklahoma who decommitted, but are still being recruited. That's interesting.
1: So one of them, um, so there were five originally, two of them are still committed. Um, Mashburn and Quindon Lewis still committed. Uh, The one safety, Marcus Mays, recently committed to Tulsa, so I don't know what happened there. He decommitted, and Memphis has not recruited him, at least from what we've seen on Twitter, what we've heard. They haven't kind of stopped recruiting him. And then the other two guys are still up in the air. Um, Javarius Owens, who's another uh, safety, but just a really athletic dude. And then Nick Robinson is the guy that a lot of people... Yeah, he's the four-star wide receiver. And I mean, it remains
0: to be seen. I think that it's going to be really interesting. I don't think... They even know, you know, what. Do you get a game. sense? And obviously, you can't talk about specific players uh, with with Mike Norvell or his staff at this point. Do you get a sense? They always seem very confident about recruiting, broadly speaking. Uh, honestly, like last year, it was he has a blast doing it. I mean, yeah. you just get the sense he loves it. You yeah. know, tweeting and his gifts and everything else and what whatnot. Um, and as good as last year's class was, this year's class has had the potential to be better all along, it looks like. Do you still get that vibe whenever whatever it mentions that he's still feeling pretty good about what's happening with recruiting?
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think, if anything, feeling better this year because he's had a lot more time to kind of assemble the class and did a lot of the work. You know, I think this is, and it was interesting last year just kind of how the timing worked out. They had to sprint through, you know, late December, January, especially that early January where they were picking up kids In bunches, And they really had to go, go, go and and find kids and get them committed and all that stuff. Here, you know, they've really, they did a lot of their work in the summer. You know, they had a ton of commitments even before these kids were going into their senior years to the point where their class, I think they have 19 or 20 verbal commits at this point, including the two JUCO corners.
0: So a lot of their work is... Is. Some of it is fending people off, but I thought I saw a quote of in in one of your stories about also we might pick up some surprising yep whatever. So they're not. It's not just that they're fending people off; they're still poaching too.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think they've got a they've got a you know a couple scholarship spots open, and I think there's always the possibility of you know so and so Tennessee poaches your quarterback. Now suddenly you're looking for a guy, you know, and and I think that that's something or. Somebody falls into your lap late in the you know Josh Perry last year, right. twelve or twenty four hours or whatever it was before national signing day. Why not to dry, I need a place to land, need a place to go. So I think that they're they're looking at, at stuff like that. But there's a lot more, um, maybe comfort. I guess I don't know if that's a fair word, but a lot. It's it's a little bit easier having a full year to recruit and having all that time to evaluate too. You know, like they've they've just combed over everybody and, and know exactly what they're getting into. What's
0: the What's the mood in the practices? Obviously, one of the benefits of the bowl is you get these extra practices. Are they using it in different ways than they did typical practice? Are they accomplishing different things? Have they been this week? What's the what's it been like?
1: So it was interesting. Obviously, last week uh, was finals and yep. final exams. Um, before that, it was really just kind of some fundamental, basic fundamental work uh, and Having not had a bye week for 11 weeks, right. there's a fine balance between like overworking and giving your body, you know, a necessary amount of rest. And so the practices were, were relatively short. Um, today was the first real bowl prep practice where they went a full 25 periods, two and a half, three hours, whatever it is, um, and, and started kind of focusing in on on Western Kentucky and, and their plays and, and all that stuff. So it's just been a lot of fundamentals just staying sharp. A lot of weight room work. A lot of running. Um, you know, in between practices and stuff. But um, yeah, today was the
0: first day where you actually got a sense that it was how important to them. People often say about bowls that the the key factor in bowls is motivation. Which team actually really particularly wants to win? Which is checked out? Which is happy to be there? Which is where do you think they are on that scale of wanting to win this thing?
1: They they come across to me as a lot more. And I don't know if this is entirely fair to last year's team, but I I think they're a little bit more motivated this year, Um, and and it'll be interesting to see what Western Kentucky's level of motivation is. And and you know, just talking to player, you know, Daniel Montiel yesterday kind of admitted straight up, like, look, when you lose your head coach, it makes a difference. You know, as much as you want to say it doesn't, it it does. It makes a difference. Um, And so I think last year there was just a lot more confusion, uncertainty, whatever you want to call it. It was hard to really lock in given the uncertainty that was surrounding them in the program. And I think with that gone this year, um, and with the senior class, you know, there are a lot of guys who are beloved in the senior class. And you could say that about any class, I guess, but there are a lot of guys who have really helped build the pro you know, guys like Laterus, Brady, Montiel, uh, Donald Pennington, who have been here, you know Donald Pennington, who just wrote a story about him over the weekend, was signed by Larry Porter. Yeah, he might be the last guy on the roster who was signed by Larry Porter. So, um, a lot of guys who have been here forever, and there's a little bit. I, I just think there's a little bit more motivation, a little bit more stability that kind of fosters that motivation this year.
0: I was looking at the, um, I was looking at the uh, various awards um, from the banquet. And it was interesting. Now, some of this is, you know, they divide up the awards so that all the deserving people get the awards. And and you know, there were two offensive players of the year because how are you going to pick between Riley Ferguson and Anthony Miller? And two and special teams. There were players two of special teams year. players of the year as well. But the MVP was Arthur Mollett. Yeah. What did you think of that? I wasn't surprised. MVP. Now he wasn't the MVP. The actual who was the MVP of this team? Anthony Miller or Riley Ferguson? Riley Ferguson was the MVP. If there was one player that you could have said, this team can't lose. If that's what valuable is, it was Riley Ferguson. If there's one player who made most big plays for the team, it was Anthony Miller. I love the Arthur Mollett story. Love it. Yeah, I I love everything about it. But the most valuable player was Riley Ferguson. We could get into semantics a little bit about
1: that, about whether, you know, is a quarterback inherently more valuable because of the position he plays. yes. But I, I think Arthur Mollett, the, the like, like I wasn't surprised at all, just because of what he seeing them in practice every day and seeing how much he he puts into it, and just from a you know in terms of leadership, and I don't know how many games he was cap, he was probably captain ten or eleven times over the course of the season. You know, Jake Elliott was captain every game, so I think he was the only one. Um, but just seeing kind of behind the scenes, how know, much he meant, how much he means,
0: just. You can tell, honestly, it was one of the striking things of this whole year was during this this media day when they let us talk to the players before the season began. Players who we never had been able to talk to under Justin, who just had no use for it, right? And so you had no idea who these people were like. And you walk in, you talk to them one by one by one by one. And the most, the one who just popped off the page was Arthur Mollett. Like, he just is determined, leader, mad at the way he played last year. Um, you know, it exuded just buy-in or whatever that was. It just was totally striking and I guess uh, it was obviously on the field in, in practice as well.
1: Yeah. The, the one other thing that I wanted to mention speaking about the awards, I'm always curious to see, the ones I'm most curious to see honestly are the scout team. Yeah, what do you know about player? those guys? So, the offensive scout Team player of the year was Damani Coxey, the former LSU commit who's an academic redshirt this year. And that's a guy, I don't know if I've said it on the podcast, I mean, he's gonna be a, a player. He's he's good. Receiver. He's a wide receiver. He's 6'3, 180, 185, somewhere in there. Incredibly athletic. It just in the mold of I mean, an athleticism that you see at Memphis guys who are athletic but a little bit undersized. Rarely do you see a guy who at 6'3, 180 is as athletic as, as really? he is, and I don't know if you know. Obviously, if Anthony Miller comes back and you still have Phil Mayhew, I don't know if Coxie's going to start necessarily, but I think he's a guy that could play a a big big role. Okay. Who else won? Were like four of them? Yeah. Well, there were um, the the special teams uh, scout team player was Nehemiah Augustus, who's a guy that uh, the coaching staff loves, um, kind of a linebacker hybrid safety, uh, could play that star position or was they thought could play the star position before Austin Hall kind of had his big breakout year. Right. Um, he's definitely a guy to watch. And then Amazing
0: I, Austin Hall wasn't most improved. Like that was... Uh, Chauncey Lanier. Chauncey Lanier was most improved. But okay, so so he was
1: the other one. And then uh, Tim Hart, linebacker, and yeah. Joseph Dorcius, who is uh, Dorland's younger brother. And
0: what's he like?
1: And he's a preferred... He's he's an undersized uh, defensive tackle and just a, a really high-motor guy. I don't know if he's ever going to, you know play but he significant the minutes. the defensive
0: scout team player
1: of the year. He and, he and Tim Hart, and obviously Tim Hart's a, a name that, that most Memphis fans will right. know. Um, and a guy that I think, you know, in terms of guys to watch next year, I've gotten this question a bunch. I mean, I think John Tate up front, Josh Perry in the secondary, and then Tim Hart. I think Tim Hart's going to carve out a role. He's a guy that the coaches just just rave about in, in terms of that middle linebacker spot. So those were the ones that I was really interested because you look back last year, they're uh, – their scout team offensive player of the year was Tony Pollard, and the year before oh, that, pretty nice. The year before that, I think their scout team offensive player of the year was Anthony, Anthony Miller. Miller. So, pretty good track record, and that's kind of one way that you can see who the who the of the future are. Yeah, yeah. really, really high on. So, um, I thought that was interesting. Okay, I think this is going to be our last podcast before the actual game, so we'll talk a little bit about the game. What mm. are your? Uh, did, I think the over under last I checked was like seventy nine. Is it going to go? Would you take the over on that?
0: I guess in this game, and, and who do you think will win? Yeah, I take the over. I think I take the over on that, and I'll take Memphis just because you know I, I don't know anything about Western Kentucky except they score a lot, you know, and they lost their coach, you know. That's that's all I know about Western. They they score like like they score like crazy, and they lost their coach, and uh, but so therefore I'll take Memphis, and um, yes, I, I, I yes I, I'll take the over. Is this an exciting matchup? do you think are you from
1: from looking from somebody who like looks at the stats every week i was like holy cow this is gonna be a crazy Barn burner. fun game yeah did it strike you people immediately? notice
0: it's oh yeah and i think it struck national people too like when when people said what games will be fun this was one that they circled now you don't the way these things go it's sort of interesting like It can become a 51-49 game and all of a sudden the country will start, you know, know, country will join in in progress. That's what happened in the Miami Beach Bowl. It just became such a classic as it unfolded that you got the sense that the national audience was picking up minute by minute by minute. So uh, and that that could happen here if it just, you know, if it lives up to if it lives up to its expectations. I will also
1: take the over. And uh, I like Memphis's defense to get a few more stops than Western Kentucky's defense. And no, no slight to Western Kentucky's defense, I just think Memphis has shown a little bit more improvement over the course of the year. Turnovers are Turnovers have proven to be key for this defense. True, true. So that'll bear watching. Um, we will be back for you, who knows when. Maybe after the bowl game. Maybe we'll talk recruiting somewhere in between. Um There will be another Tiger football podcast. We've got to
0: talk about the indoor practice facility, too, at some point. We'll get into that another time.
1: We will dig into that another time. Thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you soon.
0: Unlimited access, anytime, anywhere, on any device. A commercial appeal digital subscription makes a great gift, and now as low as just $4.99 a month. That's a whole month of unlimited access for less than a cup of coffee. Choose from digital and home delivery options now at CommercialAppeal.com slash subscribe. This is the Commercial Appeal.